Welcome to the Yogi Therapist Podcast, where we talk all things mental health, personal growth, and spiritual development. I'm your host, Rachel, a psychotherapist and yoga teacher based in Sydney. This is your space to gain new insights and tools so that you can live a life that feels aligned and meaningful. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Yogi Therapist Podcast. I am so excited today to be joined by a fellow therapist. I love talking to other therapists. We have a very particular language Mm. and we can just get into the mud and really flesh stuff out for hours. And so I think this conversation is going to be a very worthwhile one. Today, I am joined with Jackson by Find Reason Therapy. Hi, Jackson. Hey, hey, hey. I love that. A little bit of intro. We could talk for hours and try and cap it, but you're right. We do get into nitty and gritty. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't wait. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, as always, I will, before we start to get into the nitty gritty, I want to let people get a sense of who you are and why they should listen to the things that you're about to say over the next hour. So, I would love to just hand it over to you and let people get a sense of where you've been, what you do, and what you're passionate about in this work. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I'm Jackson, and I'm a clinical counselor and psychotherapist, and, you know, a human and that, that gets it wrong all the time. I'm perfectly imperfect, and I guess this work is a big part of my accountability and my ability to keep showing up for myself and so I can show up for others. And I guess the reason I am a therapist is used to be a short answer. You know, I've always wanted to help people until I got into therapy when I was like, oh, it's because of all my shit, you know? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I resonate with that so much. I remember one of my first subjects, our teacher said to everyone, why do you want to be a therapist? Everyone's hand shut up and everyone said exactly that. I just love helping people. I want to inspire. I love to support people. And he was so brutal and he just said, yep. that's a nice story that you tell yourself. When you really unpack it, why do you want to be a therapist? How does it serve you? I feel important. I like having the answers. I like people needing me. I like, you know, whatever shadow side comes out in it. Totally. Um, it's such an interesting um, thing to explore. Hmm. So honest. Yeah, man. I mean, fuck. I'm all about being authentic and yeah. genuine. And I guess that's that's the way I do it. And I kind of look at it. It's like, you know, it's just got to be me. Everybody else is taken. So that's kind of the way I roll with with this sort of work. And I guess the the big thing that I've done over the time that I've been in my own therapy and working in this space is just the inclination that it all comes back to self-worth, you know, and I love being challenged on that, but I think that pretty much most stuff that we bring into therapy and most things that go on for us in our day-to-day or challenges or stresses all comes back to how Mm. I feel about myself and then how I'm going to show up in the world and how I'm going to show up in relationships. So that's kind of what became more and more of the niche. And that's definitely my shit and my story, which Mm. is, you know, basing everything else, um, basing my life, basing my worth off Mm. others, you know, not Mm. being good enough unless, um, not mattering unless, not being lovable, you know. So that was what I did. I did whatever Mm. it could take to be loved, be heard, be cared for. Um, And if I wasn't, then 
you know, I keep trying to make people like me or whatever. So when that's a need, it makes sense why we we go in and go, fuck, I'm really good at helping people because if I'm not, people won't mm. love me. So mm. eventually um, that became a job. <laughs> I monetized it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do it, you know, unless I really kind of surrendered and and realized how much I was sacrificing myself to, I guess, please and and be really uh, codependent in the way that I was living and dealing with life. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that for me is, is the, is the work is how do I keep showing up for myself and how do I, you know, step in how I want to in my mm-hmm. life and move forward. So that's, I guess, who I am, what I do, run my own practice in, yeah, that specialization. And look, it all comes back to the, what we experienced. So I do specialize in trauma and got all my bells and whistles to I guess support that as well as my own personal experience and that ties it all in a nice bow to be a very informal fun as fun as can be uh time to build connection and just get get as much as we can out of what's next in life. Mm. What I love about that is the idea of our mess is our message and that um as therapists, you know, what we go through in life is almost like our initiation in order to be able to teach it and to hold the space for people who are going through that. And I think sounds as though there's that real, like you say, that that authenticity and that ability to connect to people from a place of of knowing and experience rather than this kind of abstract clinical intellectual understanding of of what it is that they might be going through. Totally, totally. I mean, I think the the number one thing that I say when people call and see if they want to land and do therapy with finders and therapy is there's lots of theories, there's lots of techniques, there's lots of modalities, there's literally every letter of the alphabet can be turned into an acronym for therapy. Yeah. And um, I say, look, none of that shit actually works or matters unless you have a relationship with the person that you're working with, unless there's connection and trust and safety and rapport that can be built over time for whatever that looks like, that any of that is going to work at all. Amen. I am I am so happy that you brought that up because that has been my experience, not only as a therapist, but as a client, which is, mm. yes, it's about the work that you do. It's about the, the techniques that you learn and the conversations that you have, right, 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 right. But fundamentally, Mm. what they have found that the most important thing is the therapeutic relationship. Do you like your therapist? Do you respect them? Do you feel safe and held by them? I just, it's, it's so unbelievably important. And I always, you know, whenever people tell me like, oh, I'm seeing a therapist, I always say like, what do you think of them? Do you like Mm. them? And (laughs) someone will be like, okay. I'm like, if that's your response, find anyone. It's like dating. Mm. There has to be a vibe there. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I'm I'm handing a lot of clients over to the rest of my team, and I go, look, you can have a 50 minute vibe check. Yeah, you, they're picking up what you're putting down. You know, mm, yeah. you got to. It's like I say, it's heart surgery. You would want to know your heart surgeon. I don't think it's any different. Yeah, yeah, I love that, and I think that that's a new wave of therapists that are kind of coming through. I know you went to PAC for right. You did the Masters of Counseling and Psychotherapy. Yeah, ACAP or whatever it's called now. Not yeah, okay, that's what I'm trying to say. And I know that we learnt the the um, person centered therapy, which is that Carl Rogers theory that you know therapists need to be congruent, they need to be authentic, um, and they need to be empathic. 
and I love the idea of of authentic and 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 congruent. I mean, I love empathic as well, but you know, I think it means that there is another human sitting in the chair across from you that you really can connect to. And it's not that they are this authority figure with all of this know-how of of what's wrong with you. It's it's another person that you can um, connect to and regulate with and share with in the most human of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, without that, like what what are we, right? I mean, if if I'm sitting across from someone that's being incongruent, then I'm not going to feel super safe continuing to share. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that's going to be challenging for me. And and when I'm sitting with people that are, you know, for whatever reason, keeping their own ego there or whatever front that they're kind of putting up or mask that they're putting up, you know, we'll, I, we see that and I park that and I go, how do we work towards the true self? Because mm-hmm. I can see that role that you're playing straight away. And if you look at all therapists as humans, how many of them are doing that discovery, that work to actually show up and go, you know what? I still get it wrong all the time. And, you know, how I want to do my work with therapists, with clients, is being able to show up for myself and actually continue to not just do professional development, but inner development as well. Mm, I think the most important work that we'll ever do is our own work being the client. I personally think that anyone that wants to go and be a therapist, there should be a mandatory section where you have to go and do your own therapy. Mm. You know, I don't think- Not just supervision. Not just supervision. Like I have, you know, get on that chair and rip shit open and do the work first before you try and guide people through it. Um, I think, again, I know we're both therapists and we talk the language and I'm- cognizant of the fact that people might not know what the fuck we're talking about when we say congruent. So yeah, yeah. if you have no idea what that word means, congruent is about, um, do you actually, I want to, I want to hand it over to you. What's your understanding of congruence? This is an a, um, a quiz by the way, <laughs> like how much of your psych 101 can you remember? But yeah, well, I mean, I guess the, the human answer, which is, I, I all comes back down to connection for me. So is, mm. is the congruence is kind of like, you're saying aligned with what you're, you know, doing, or you know, can I can I see one thing and you're showing me another sort of thing? What you're saying doesn't actually quite match what your whole body is kind of telling me. And then, are you going to do what? Oh, the, the, one of my favorite quotes is, "You are what you do, rather than what you say you're going to do." Mm, yes. Yep. Right? I think that for me kind of sums up the congruence is is what I see and and versus what you know, what might be behind that sort of thing. Yeah. I love that. It's, I guess, yeah. My understanding of congruence is, is very similar. Does your outer world match your inner world? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think for example, a sign of, uh, incongruence is, you know, you're sitting there and you're talking about something very horrendous that has happened, but you're saying it with a smile on your face or you're laughing through it. And there's a mismatch between what you're saying and, and how you're, how you're feeling or what an appropriate response would be. Um, I remember, I had a client um, who was doing uh, exposure therapy for a phobia that they had. And I was walking them through it and, you know, systematic desensitization, helping them to um, regulate their nervous system around things that make them feel scared. And I got home from work one day after doing a session of it and I saw a huntsman in my room and I screamed so loud and I ran downstairs and I told my partner that we were moving house and we we're going to move to New Zealand. And like, I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm so terrified of spiders. 
Yeah. And it hit me in that moment of like, I spent an hour kind of holding my client in learning to regulate herself with this. It's very incongruent of me to then go home and freak out about a spider, you know? And so I um, made myself do that own systematic desensitization. I started to watch like little YouTube videos of like tarantulas and huntsmen. And then now I have, we have a dead spider on our balcony and my work is to leave it there and to just look at it every day. Yeah. <laughs> so that when my clients are like, this is difficult, I'm like, trust me, I know there's a hairy spider on my balcony. I'm with you in the trenches. Yeah, I hear. And I think that's that's probably my approach, right, in that I focus and work with so much codependency or so much self-worth issues or just how we're showing up in relationships or with my couples where I'm in the trenches all the time. So what's congruent or not congruent is if I'm kind of really preaching or, you know, having intervention or suggesting certain things or really doing some psychoeducation around relationship conflict, like, like mm -hmm. this is still going on for me and I a specialist in this field and I work with it every day and I've studied it for years and years and I still fuck it up sometimes. Mm. So then the work for me is to stay congruent is that is I'm going to keep showing up and being like, Hey, 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 like this is, this is life work. Right. And I, I'm more moved towards, I'm, I'm imperfect and I'm trying to figure out a way to be okay with that. And alongside that show up and do the work and put in the things that I need to be able to do to have self-worth to show up in the way that I want to show up in my relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the self is aspirational. It's something that we consciously choose and construct every single day. And we never arrive at the person that we want to be. We constantly have to choose it. And that's going to mean that there are lapses, you know. Mm. The word that you keep bringing up, which I'd love to dive into, is self-worth. So I'd love to get your understanding and your definition of what self-worth is. I mean, I talk about it so often. You're so right. And there's so many definitions. So I honestly still don't think that I nail it right um, every single time. But I guess it's when we're born, we are inherently born with value, with worth. Nothing can take that away in that moment. Just to be, just to exist, just to be brought into the world is to be worthy to be here is to be valuable enough to exist on the planet whether we're born heroin dependent whether we're born taken away from our parents straight away whether we're loved and nurtured with a secure family for you know life is that moment is worthy and just existing and just being is is that absolute you know it's defined uh divine so for me self-worth is about you know, how we see, how we see ourselves in the way that we want to keep living and existing in the world. So when we start to have self-worth issues generally, is that's when somewhere along the line from birth, self-worth started to be impacted. Self-worth started to be not this unconditional thing that just is, it becomes a condition. You are worthy if, which happens very, very, very early on in relationship with our caregivers, with our attachment figures, is you're worthy if you're a good boy. You're worthy if 
you don't scream and kick and play and be too rowdy. Mm. You're worthy if you can um, be really mindful that your your mum's in there sick or whatever and not, you know, do this or that. You, you know, you're worthy if you can be dad's little helper um, or our little sidekick or the hero in the family, like whatever it might be, our worst starts becoming dependent on whether or not we're doing these things that our caregivers or attachment figures, whether it be by design in intention, it's that we will form these roles that we have to play in order to exist and be safe within our worlds. So if that means to stay loved is to be really good at school and get good grades or be at, be without anger or be secretive about what's happening to me that nobody else knows about, mm. then we'll do that because mm -hmm. the, the authenticity pace is really important, right? Who we are and how we are in the world and how we want to show up and, and be completely ourselves. But the attachment piece prompts that yes. every day, right? I will choose to drop my authenticity as fast as I can if it means that I get to stay in relationship with you, which means that I get to survive, which means that I get to be as close to being loved as I can condition or I can think might happen. So our self-worth for me is a long explanation, but is, is the way that we see through our eyes our, our value in the world. Yeah, yeah. I love that explanation that you gave. I think it's so deeply wired within us. And I think, you know, like we said before, before that we started recording, you were like, oh, I want to talk about self-worth. And I was like, oh yeah, I have some thoughts about self-worth because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that there's a narrative of what self-worth is, which is I love myself. I accept myself unconditionally. I'm, you know, and I think, yes, but that's not a full enough picture, but I love the way that you've explained that because it really comes down to the fundamentals of what human beings need, which mm -hmm. is, a need to be authentic, you know, the congruence, what I feel inside, I can express in that scene and I'm still accepted mm. Mm -hmm. and attachment. Mm -hmm. And like you said, attachment will trump authenticity every single time because when you think about what's most important fundamentally, if I'm disconnected from my tribe, from my group, I will die. Mm. If I don't have the the safety of my 15 other people in my, my group, I'm left to the wolves. Like mm -hmm. thousands mm -hmm. of years ago, that was literal. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And so now we're like, I will do anything if if I will sacrifice whatever I need to to stay within the safety of the village. That's right. Um, but it gets to a point where that's at the expense of of what we feel and and who we are. Um, mm. Yeah, mm. I, I absolutely love that definition. And I think I remember many, many, many years ago, my therapist saying to me, "Well, actually, I was saying like, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel good enough." And she just stopped me and she said good enough for what? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And it's not till many years later that I really understood what good enough was. And I think, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, I think good enough means good enough to be accepted by the people around me. Yeah. The people that mattered most. I'm not good enough. Whenever I cried or whenever I had a big emotion, I was always called a drama queen or a nuisance or a burden to the family. And so I was that that expression of myself was not good enough. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know your thoughts on that. 
So a couple of things. It's yes, yeah. it's not good enough for what, but it's also and probably more closely not good enough for who, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because to be functional, I guess, for one of these words, I guess to be uh, in alignment, that might be a better word in that makes more sense for people, but is to be able to esteem ourselves from within rather than uh, get my esteem or my worth from others or other things. Mm. So when we become in a way that we can esteem from within fundamentally, then we are going to be able to kind of prosper and and continue to grow and and be okay. And we might dabble in it elsewhere. But even this thing, and, and, you know, it's a pretty, it's really annoying what I do when I do this, but everyone thinks that a lot of people think that that I'm not good enough is a feeling. Mm. It's not a feeling. If it was a feeling, then it'd be just like love and joy and pain and anger, which we can we can oh, difficult to understand, but we can feel in 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 different sensations somatically and and thought wise and be able to kind of speak to some of that, especially as we start to do some therapy. But I'm not good enough or any self-worth-based message that is like a fundamental core belief or common belief is at somewhere along the line, I started to think something about myself based on how I was assigning a meaning to it. Mm. And to choose between making it about my parents, for example. So what we might do is is instead of instead of blaming our parents or looking at to our parents essentially in a way that's like they're not paying attention to me they are too uncomfortable with the things that are going on and therefore I can look at them and I assign a meaning that way that they they're not loving me they're not caring for me but what the reality is is which is a survival mechanism a trauma response in those moments basically just to make sure that we can stay in relationship is that we won't make it about our parents. We will make it about ourselves. So we'll say we're being a naughty boy or we're being, you know, a bad girl because of the way that they're behaving. It must be about me. So I've got to figure out how to change my behavior so that I can kind of still get loved. So what we then assign the meaning, right? Find our way all the way back to this is when I do something it's not about other people. I now start to say, I am, I think I'm not enough mm. unless, right? I think that I'm not lovable unless because I'm getting in trouble for it or I'm starting to think that way. So, like you said at the start, it's like, I'm not good enough for who, right? Is it comes all the way back down to when that first started happening. And that might not be in your secure relationships. I'm still waiting to meet someone in complete secure attachment relationships. But um, in terms of in their upbringing, don't know if it's real. Apparently it is, but I find it really difficult to be like someone somewhere had absolutely no needs not met. So we'll see. I'm still waiting. Well, I think we have a bias sample. We tend to see people who... Definitely, you don't necessarily Definitely. have secure attachment for sure, for sure. And look, I'm being a bit facetious, but essentially, and it's not that it can't be created. And I like to think that I do have secure attachments now. But that fundamental thing is is a thought: is that worth is is 
core beliefs that we start thinking about ourselves that mean what they mean based on how we've assigned them. Otherwise, nothing would trigger us. Like if you pissed me off, right? I might just be like, Rachel, you just pissed me off. But if my partner pisses me off or my mum, which is like that OG attachment, right? Is I I create the story, I assign the meaning that when I notice you piss me off, what I think about me is I'm not good enough again. And that's the old shit, right? So it's a thought because that's the thought that creates my feelings. From that thought, not your behavior, unless it is malice and intentional to harm me, then Mm. I'm creating it, right? I'm creating it. And then based on those thoughts, which are really freaking hard, I'm not good enough is a really harsh, shameful message that we say to ourselves that we probably have said to ourselves unconsciously or consciously for a really long time. So then that thought creates my feeling. And then the feeling is shame. The feeling is pain. The feeling is fear. And then we know what happens next. We start to behave. What does those feelings make me do right yeah. so that's my long-winded answer for a for, for a question that i forgot what you asked but hopefully it all makes sense and we wrap around and it, it all is a nice little bow <laughs> i um you know there's a phrase in there that i love because i use it all the time and i think it's such a powerful phrase and it's the most honest phrase that we can use which is the story that i'm telling myself is um i remember i had a situation with my partner i can't remember what happened but i did something that was frustrating. I think it was something like he had a, such a busy day and he needed to go home and then leave the house straight away. And he asked me to put on some food in the air fryer so that he could pick it up. And I didn't do it. And he was so stressed. He was, and he was, he's such a grounded human being. He was like, oh, he's like, that's frustrating. That's right. I'll get something else. Kept it going. And I, oh my gosh, I sat there and I was stewing and any little thing he would do, any little kind of innocuous thing. I was like, oh, he hates me. Mm. And I caught myself. I said, okay. And I turned to him and I said, the story that I'm telling myself is that you are blind with rage at what I've done, but you're not going to tell me that because you know it was an accident. And I'm feeling really, really guilty. And I can feel myself trying to track you and check where you're at because I, I, I don't trust that you're being honest with me. Mm. And he said, he's like, I am annoyed, but I'm not blind with rage. I, I told you I'm frustrated, though I understand and it's fine. And just being able to name the story that was going within me and check it with him. Mm. Now, he's deeply securely attached, so I can do that. He's a safe person for me to practice. But yeah. that practice of checking your stories, of identifying them. Mm -hmm. Right now, the story that I'm telling myself is that you are super angry that I showed up late. And the reason that I learned that was every time I was late, my mum used to give me the silent treatment at home. So this feels like the stakes are really, really high. It feels like it's not just about what's happening between you and I. It feels like it feels old. Is this true? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's such a powerful practice to get into. So Rach, what was the alternative? To what? To 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 being able to safely check and actually go with what you've thought. What did you used to do? Project. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know if that's a, yeah, no, it was a projection. I would, um, what would I used to do? My inclination was to, I was convinced he was angry at me and I would get defensive because yeah. I need to protect myself at, from his 
massive anger that's coming at me. Mm. And then I would be really short with him and I would be really disconnected from him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, an hour later, I'm not talking to him and he's like, what's happening? You were the one that didn't make dinner. But, you know, I've created this story and I've acted it out. Mm. Yeah, that's what would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go back even further is when I was being given the silent treatment, then I don't want that. I can't handle that in my relationship. So I'm going to try my best to do whatever it takes to kind of come back and, for mm-hmm. example, come back and find my way back to please or be perfect or whatever, or just kind of crumble in my own withdrawal and isolation. Right. That's definitely, yeah. um, you know, there's definitely more options, but yeah, there's, there's yeah. Sort of pathways. Right. Well, for me, my, my, sticky spot is my family is Irish and so a mix of Irish and English. So we use humor, but we also suppress what we feel. And so if we're frustrated, I'm not going to tell you because we're too British for that. (laughs) What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a passive aggressive joke and that's how I'm going to communicate how you feel and you need to figure it out. And so I didn't know if I could trust what people are saying. It would be Oh, nice of you to show up on time. Traffic must've been really late. I know how it gets at fucking 9 PM. And that would be like my parents' way of saying, or not my parents, but people in my family's way of saying, um, I'm really frustrated with you. Yeah. But because it came through a joke, we can't really address the tension. And so when my partner didn't necessarily explicitly say it, I was like, there's something more that you're not saying. That's the story that I've learned, mm-hmm. that I need to dig a little deeper and look underneath the little comment because that's where the truth lies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But my partner grew up in South African household where there's no fucking around they'll tell you exactly what they think so it's a you know it's a perfect antidote for me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's funny how we find our ways into those little things yeah. of what we're meant to see what we're meant to see yeah but yeah man i mean that's that's this beauty of this work like i i i love and what ends up happening in in for for my clinic is is we're we're working with what's going on on the surface you know working with this relational conflicts or you know little things that are going on and niggles in their head around what they think about themselves or just depression and anxiety or whatever it might be. But, you know, and as you've kind of nicely said, it's like we could just label whatever you you just described as conflict with my partner or we just dissect it a tiny bit and really move into like, no, there's, there's another conflict within myself again. Wow. I love that. The differentiation between what's really going on between me and him Versus mm. what's going on within the parts of myself. Yeah. What's yeah. alive within me becomes alive between me and him. Absolutely. Mm. Right. And it it can get really alive. And people come through the door or people go to their friends or people uh, post about it on Instagram or whatever it might be with just a piece of it. Yeah. And then the 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 ripple effect is that's what's then given back to, oh, this is how you communicate. This is what you're going to learn. But unless you get to that, like you're saying, you create that safety part. It's like, they're never going to understand that there's a story that I tell myself that has nothing to do with, with anything to do with them. It's, 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 I start to see what's behind them, not just them. And there's two parts to that. It's first, I'm connected to myself enough to know that there is a story being played out and I can actually create that awareness that I am triggered. And Mm. for a lot of people, that is 
the big part of the work, that actually you're not really pissed off at your partner. You're pissed off at, at something that feels familiar. And then the other part of the work is being able to communicate it. Um, I love, yeah. I am like a disciple of Esther Perel. I think I reference her on every single podcast. And she she made this joke that uh, like couples therapy, when you really peel it back, it's like what happened to me with my mother comes alive and what happens to you with your father comes alive. And that couples therapy really is my mum, my internalised mum fighting your internalised father. <laughs> it's like there are multiple people in the room if we really look at what, mm. what is being played out. Mm, totally. And, and look, big shout out to Esther Perel. Let's get her on your podcast. Um, um, let's start the petition now. I would die. Yeah. I would just end my, like I peaked in my career at that point, everything. I just cancel everything after that. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I just peaked. I said Mark Rose is the uh, equivalent for me. So, yeah. but yeah, you know, related to that, he just came on and, and one of the quotes similar to what we're sharing is that 90% of relationships, um, that start to have a problem in the moment today is never about today. Mm. it's it's never about what's happening right now and almost almost again a big percentage of that is not even about them it's about their histories and it's not about their relationship histories it's it's it might have nothing to do with this partner and it's it's kind of comes back and back and back to this is how i show up when there's a bit of conflict this is how i am within me and that again we come back to the self-worth is based on i'm not good enough for who or I'm not significant enough, so I've got to stand up. I was in therapy this morning, and my and my therapist said to me, um, "You've got to really ask why it's so important and um, important for you, or why you're so important and powerful that you can't um, stomach the fact that someone might not be able to hear you." And it just like smacked me in the face because there's a part of me, you know, and this is where this bit, bit of parts work, but there's a protecting part of me. It's like all my shame tells me that I've never been listened to my whole life. So when you don't listen to me, mm. all my, all my, all my shit comes out. And that's, that can be pretty deadly as my mum would say, you know, you've got a deadly look every now and then. And it's gotten a lot better. And, and what I've been able to process has been amazing. But the reflection for this morning was like, it's, it's figuring out how do I support myself to know that like is what what part of you needs to protect yourself so much that you have to have this stance that's like I'm I'm so important and and I needed to do that back then mm. but that doesn't serve me at all in fact it does the opposite now yes yes and I love that you know, you were able to identify that that's actually a protective factor because, you know, there was that experience of, I don't feel like I'm being heard. I don't feel like I'm important enough. I don't feel like I'm valuable or, or worthy or whatever the story was. And so there was this part of you that stepped up and said, you will listen. I need to be seen. I need to be connected. It is fundamental to my survival. And that worked really well at a certain point in your life. But you know, 20 years down the track when someone, you know, didn't understand what it is that you're saying, that part of you fires up and you can say to him, hey, I know what you're trying to do. Mm. Thank you. That was then, this is now, I'm going to be in the driver's seat. Thank you so much. You know? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And the amount I of time. Parts work. Oh. Yeah, man. And the amount of time, and this is like, you know, speaking to your audience, like the amount of time us as therapists have, have had to have that reflection 
You know, I've been doing this sort of thing for like seven years study and then the rest of my life in in the fucking trenches. And I still have to have that time to pause, reflect and sit with it. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay humble to the fact that that's always going to be the case. And there's going to be a little part of me that comes out and goes, hey, fuck you. And there's going to be another part of me that comes out and it's just like, oh, man, the world sucks and I do deserve this pain or whatever. And I got to figure out how to nurture him in all of his, in all of his little ways. And that yeah. all comes back down to, yeah, there's a story there, a really, really old story that I believed for a very long time. And there's moments where I still believe it. And that's mm-hmm. where I think the self-worth part comes into it all. Mm-hmm. One thing you said that I would love to um, unpick with you is that, the self-worth comes from within and not externally. Can you flesh that out a little bit? What does it mean to have like that kind of, I guess, internal sense of self or intrinsic sense of self, Mm. if those are the words you would use? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like the self-worth that when I talk about internal versus external is I'm not, if I was to take away everything from both of us, right? And we didn't have relationship. We we didn't have our jobs. We didn't have the passions that we have. Could we wake up tomorrow and say that I am still worthy just for being, just for existing, just for breathing today? And, you know, knowing enough about you, it, it, that's probably still a difficult one to fully come to, right? I like to think that it is for me. And, but at the same time, it's the same thing. It's like, that's still a hard one because there's a lot of other stuff going on that that I am passionate about that I that I don't want to live without right mm-hmm. but the difference being internally I want to get to a part where I am me and in my full I amness right it's that I can completely look after who I am and how I want to be and be pushed around and and stand up for myself and all that sort of thing so that it teaches me lots of different lessons that at the end of the day, I can love from within and love myself in a really important way. Now, that doesn't mean I can't be in a relationship until I do. I don't believe that. But I used to believe that, but I don't believe that anymore because I think it's such a hard, complex battle to keep trying to find love within ourselves, compassion within ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, our, our identity, uh, our awareness and our self-care. But is that, is that idea that getting back to the point that's like, whether I do well at my job, whether I have a certain amount of followers on Instagram, whether I have a, you know, hot, sexy girlfriend, like that doesn't define me or none of that should be about how I value myself. Mm. How I value myself, and this is the internal worth, is the internal part of myself, is that I, I just, I, I exist. I, I'm, I'm somehow here. I'm somehow in this country. I'm somehow, you know, got to this point. And despite all my challenges, despite all my little intricacies of trauma, is I, I now come back and I try and just show up for myself in the best mm-hmm. way that I can. And, and put that into action. I'm not talking about I am good enough in front of the mirror every single day. I'm talking about these and now, which is um, something that I'm about to kind of launch into um, because it just keeps showing these results for so many people is 
what are the non-negotiable things that I do for myself that, that look after me, that energize me, that fill up my cup? And adding the narrative to that, that when I go and do this thing for me, for example, when I listen and dance to my favorite music to and from work every single day instead of going from A to B and sort of dissociating and numbing out, and I choose to have that moment to do something that I enjoy, the activity is great for my self-care. But the narrative is when I do this for myself, I am good enough. I am lovable. I am worthy and I matter because I've taken the time to decide that I want to do something that's just for me mm-hmm. to help my, help my stay f- full up, energized rather than, you know, the depleting shit that happens to me every single moment, mm-hmm. you know, in the rest of life. And then having those non-negotiable things that essentially are boundaries is when I do something for myself, I'm choosing to put a boundary in place for myself and everyone else so that I can do something for myself. And that might be in connection, which is with others. But selfishly, it's like, you are, you are non-negotiable to me so that I can get this love and connection and, and closeness and intimacy that mm-hmm. helps me fill myself up. That's the same with my yoga, as you would um, you know, preach and, and love as well, is when I sit on my mat and I start to breathe and do my one movement and my focus, I'm choosing me when I show up for me. And that, and that to me is the internal worth in action is every time I do non-negotiable self-care with myself throughout the week, or if I choose any moment that I've just gone, nope, that's, that's my time. This is me. It's not about anyone else. I'm owning it. Everyone else having a good part of it is a bonus. Me being good at my job because of it is a bonus. Mm. So it's, it's, it's all those little practices in action is internal worth is about me going, I want to look after myself and my little version of me to give him the life that he would have really liked to live and then continue to live through that now and, and own it, you know, mm. and be authentic in that. And that's what keeps me well and keeps me continuing to get better. So that's that accountability piece. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think um, my contention with the conversation around self-worth is the inherently individualistic nature that it tends to take in our current dialogue or zeitgeist around the self. I think, Mm. you know, in the West, we're particularly um, isolated and, and kind of atomized. And I think we have somewhere picked up along the way the idea that if we love ourself and connect to ourself, then that's enough, that we kind of need to be the monk who goes away in isolation and sits in the cave Mm. for six months and self-actualizes and comes back complete. And that's the part that I take issue with because I think the self exists within community. Yeah, I don't think a healthy sense of self can ever come from just the internal worlds. Um, and what I'm hearing you say is that that you feed that inner knowing or that inner connection with a few very um, specific and important practices. Because I, you know, you said something interesting. You said, um, you know, if if you and I lost our, you know, our partnerships or our work, it would be difficult. And I think absolutely. And then you said, you know, and if we lost Instagram followers. And that's where I went, oh, I can feel the difference, right? Because my partnership does feel so uh deeply 
I guess, uh, it's so important to me. Mm. It's such a secure attachment that I have. It's such a safe space. It's such a nourishing, healing, regulating space that if I lost that, I would and should feel a sense of loss, a sense of grief, a sense of wanting to reconnect. Now, if I lost Instagram followers, that should not have the same effect on me, you know, but there are a few things, like you say, moving your body. Even if the movement is just the movement of your belly and your chest as you breathe, being in conversation and connection with a few good people, um, having a job or having something in your life that gives you purpose. You know, I always say to people, you know, I have different versions of myself. My favorite version is therapist, Rachel. Like she's she's the most present. She's the most engaged. She's the most, she's just my favorite version. The other parts I like, but it's important that I have this version of myself. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the only kind of piece of nuance that I would like to add to this conversation around self-worth is like, that has to be constructed in the confines of your environment. Mm. You know, running away to Tibet and sitting in a cave is not going to get you to love yourself. And, you know, I remember there's this really, um, oh, I'm going to forget the name of the teacher. I will, oh, it's really going to annoy me. But um, there's a meditation teacher who, you know, he, he sees a lot of students and students will take ayahuasca or have these big like kundalini mm. transcendence, you know, experiences and come to him and be like, I have transcended the self. I feel connected with the, you know, with the cosmos, rah, rah, rah. And, and this teacher just goes, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, not wow, congratulations. I'm so excited for you. He'll go, okay. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, he'll go, How's your relationship going with your mom? I know that that was quite difficult. You know, there's no point in having all of these big transcendent experiences if the fun, if it's not affecting the fundamentals. Mm. Yeah. You know, if you don't have people you can turn to, if you don't feel safe in your body, if you don't do work that feels meaningful enough. Mm. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I love the the way I guess we can work is alongside each other in those parallels, mm-hmm. right? Because you kind of talking about the constraints, con- confines of kind of the environment that we're in. We've got to, you know, be 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 wary of the constructs with what we've kind of defined in. But I guess that's the part that a lot of people are that were or still are trapped in, which we want to look at that as like the role, right? Mm -hmm. You've been doing this sort of role, which means that you can't put yourself first. You, you struggle to say no boundaries were either too enforced or not enforced. So the, the whole idea around being able to find a way back is, is skewed because we come back to this idea of tribe or community, but that was never something that, a lot of people had mm-hmm. and even though it is you know what we all and i believe for 100 is that's the way we will fully heal is when we can come back to that but people don't don't know that sense of come back to mm. that, that they have to unlearn and scramble through reality and a lot of people end up back in a relationship to hope do that um, or they got out of their family dynamic because of their success in their career. Or, and again, based on what we think, maybe it was Instagram, you know, and, and that be that thing for them where 
we're community built online and followers and it doesn't mean it's the healthiest thing in the world but that's them right and and i guess all of those little parts are based on how i thought i knew how to get out mm-hmm. or how i thought that i was meant to do this thing and yeah then i keep coming back to attachment but i keep getting that part wrong and that part wrong and we see a lot of devastation because of that and i think when we can start to break them down alongside each other is going there's a bunch of relationship work that I need to be able to do and look at within myself, I'm going to keep creating that environment Mm. and it's going to keep potentially being offered there. So doing a lot of this, I guess, way of seeing how do I show up for me or what do I put my value in that defines who I am? Is, Mm. Is that, does that make sense? Is that comfortable? And, and I don't want to be uncomfortable. And does it still serve me now? Mm. And that's why I think a lot of this is like, let's do, like I've done so much healing work and then I stepped into a relationship and then did so much more healing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and a, a big part of me wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to unless because, mm. you know, the same is, is not necessarily true for all people. Mm. but. Along the way, I'm still learning how to be and coexist in a way that is still fundamentally me and how I want to be and how I need to be to be in partnership, to be in community, to be in connection with others. And that still needs its own self-reflection, which can really help and be fostered within safe relationships, but it still needs to be self-reflective. And Mm. I think that part will always exist because if someone brings someone else in to heal with others, and they do no self-reflection or no ability to sort of let someone in, even as safe as it might be, the tribe will go, we can't, we can't keep you in the tribe. You know, we've done, we've done everything we can do, but we're going to exile you. And that happens across all species. Mm, mm. Um, one thing you I, that I just loved that you said was, you can do all the healing work you want with your individual therapist and do it. Like absolutely do it. It's the most important worthwhile work. And when you get into a relationship, you will realize that there is a bunch of stuff that Mm. still needs some attention because relationships hold up a mirror to you in a way that individual therapy can't. It's almost like therapy in action. Like you're getting triggered in real time. It's gestalt in your relationship. Yeah. And, um, I think it's uh, Dr. Alexandra Solomon who says, you know, we are harmed in and by our relationships, but we also heal in our relationships. Mm. If you have relational trauma, you can go and do individual work. And you absolutely should, because like we touched on at the beginning of the session, what we do essentially is we connect. We have a relationship with our clients and that relationship can be healing. 100%. And at the same time, there is work in the, your relationships to come. And um, you said something really important, which was, you know, not everyone has, um, you know, those attachment figures that they can go back to and, um, uh, you know, heal the relationship with. And I don't think the goal of of therapy should be, I'm going to fix my relationship with my mom because- Depends on who your mom is. Maybe the best thing for you is to have no relationship with your mom. (laughs) Um, And moving forward, how can I find relationships that would feel 
more aligned, more nourishing, that are in line with where I'm going and not where I've been. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, one question that I love reflecting on is, you know, I had, for example, like I had this, I told you this, this story that lives within me of, you know, my family had a lot of passive aggression. I have to read deeper into what people are saying. Mm. Um, I can't trust it. I have to figure it out. And one reflection I always have is, you know, who would I be if I didn't have this belief system? How would I act if this mm. reality within me wasn't in the driver's seat? If I could say, okay, I see you, I'm going to push you in the back seat, and I'm going to let the present version of myself respond to this. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And and I guess that's a big part of the the surrender and and tag teaming that is going to naturally happen in flow for a really long time. You know, the, that role or that part is there mm-hmm. and it's got its foot on the accelerator because it thinks it needs to have its foot on the accelerator. And if the true, nice, authentic, present version of you is like, you don't need to have your foot on the accelerator. We'll yeah. take it from here. Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? Everyone's behind us chasing us. Mm. You know, so we've got to keep kind of going, there's nothing behind you anymore, yes. but really keep showing up to like, ah, oh, I kept, I keep having to teach you that lesson. So I've got to be compassionate. I got to keep being able to show up to say, once again, I know your foot's on the accelerator. I really would love to drive this one, you know, and yeah. that takes a long time because we've got to start trusting us. And we look at it in terms of like, we've got the wounded child versus, you know, this functional version or adult of ourselves mm-hmm. is a lot of this time we've kind of abandoned a little part of us. Mm-hmm. And each time we keep choosing the role, each time we keep showing up in a different way, we're abandoning that part of us mm-hmm. in a lot of moments. So they don't trust you for shit. You got to rebuild this relationship. And so it's like, actually you are safe. You're consistent. You're predictable. Now mm-hmm. I can trust mm-hmm. some of the stuff that you're starting to do. And that all, just makes sense in how we show up in relationships, right? Or how we raise children or how we parent or how we bring life into the world, how we look after animals. But that's happening within all the time. And that's why I love this this work is that the more we start knowing, we go, oh, I should just have that conversation with myself. Yeah, This is a really beautiful one that I just had with my partner. I'm going to say the same thing to myself. I'm going to not just set boundaries with others. I'm going to set boundaries with me. Wow. I love... I, I just love everything about what you said, but I love the way that you spoke to that part of you that wanted to put the foot on the accelerator, which it was like this really paternal, like, I see you, bud. I know you want to put on it, like put mm-hmm. your foot on the accelerator, but I would really love to be in the driver's seat. It wasn't, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you doing? We've been here a million times. Why are you doing this? You know, it's it's learning to soften that that tone because you are, like you said, you are the functional adult. You are the divine self, whatever you want to call it, higher self, talking to a child mm. does mm. not know any better. Um, yeah. And I used to treat him like shit, right? It, and now I kind of go, come sit down, come sit on my lap. Yeah. And I am a bit sarcastic with him, but that's our thing. You know, I, I'm like, oh, you're back. <laughs> you know, what's wrong? What's wrong now? You know, oh, this thing again. And I'm like, you know, I love you. And you know, this probably doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's so old. Remember how we've done this, that, you know, I am quite sarcastic, but what I used to be was just like, just punch him in the throat. 
you know, and say, go back into your little cage, little gremlin. We're trying to destroy you so you never, ever think you're not good enough. And I try to do it in a way that's just like, don't let anyone know that's that's there. Yeah, yeah. I um, I remember I had a client and we were talking about triggers and she just offered the most insane reframe. Simple, but so insane. You know, we talk about every time you're triggered, it's a chance to self-regulate, do something different. Blah, 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 blah. And she was saying, well, instead of them being triggers, they're opportunities. And <clears> I was like, oh, stealing that. Like yeah, yeah, thanks. how often we go, oh, I'm triggered as though it's a bad thing. Rather like, oh, I'm feeling something. This is my opportunity to do something different, to practice, because it will be a practice. Like you said, our body, our inner child shouldn't trust us. Why would it? We have ignored it for decades. And so this is your opportunity to demonstrate to it. Mm. You can trust me. Hey, I'm going to build your respect. It might take six months. And if you're skeptical, that's okay. Your skepticism makes sense and it belongs. Mm. And at the same time, can, can you allow me to be in charge and to do something differently and build the trust? Mm. Yeah. 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 And I 100% love love those little reframes that mm. clients can come up with. Oh, you know, wow. it's a, it is such humbling sort of experiences. And that's why I love relational work, which is conflict that's not violent and intentionally malice is an opportunity for growth. Mm. A conflict is it's like, this is like, I think when I first started having real conflicts with my um, partner, I was like, yes, we're here, you know, because I'm going to learn so much more from you in this than I am when we're holding hands on the beach. I'll, I'll anchor those moments and be like, that's beautiful. And I want to keep coming back to that. But I'll anchor those moments so that when we're in conflict, I can go, remember, we've been on the beach holding hands. <laughs> and now yeah. that, that conflict where we can figure out how we're going to be with each other and what we're going to learn and how we want to fix this and how we want to repair. Mm. That's, I love that. Mm. And, and that's why I kind of like conflict and I love group therapy because it's just, you know, it just sits in conflict, right? gets in the mud. And then you learn, you learn the conflict. And I, and I just want to say, I'm really glad that you added some nuance there, which was conflict that's not malicious. It has to be conflict with someone who is not committed to misunderstanding you. So conflict with someone who, you know, it can, it can be productive, but you learn that conflict can be such a beautiful portal for growth. On the mm. other side, it's deeper yeah. connection, it's deeper understanding of yourself and the other person. Very so true. let's let, let's get good at and navigating that. Mm. Yeah. I would love to um, hit you with like a rapid fire question. You are a therapist. You've been working as a therapist for X amount of years. If there were five things that people could implement today that would fundamentally change their life, what would they be? Uh, a non-negotiable self-care regime. That is got to be number one. Mm -hmm. Look after you build that structure routine. Uh, so that's, that's number one. Um, an ability to surrender. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Surrender and let go. Mm -hmm. uh, three, probably putting connection at the forefront of everything and like leading with love in that, in that way. So that'd be a big one. And then it would be, um, fuck, this is rapid. Hey, I, I, the last two would be, um, I guess, compassion with self and others, definitely. 
and really being able to look at it in a really holistic way with compassion mm. and then fun have mm. fun have as much fun in recovery as you can live a life that's worth living by enjoying bits and pieces of it if it doesn't serve you get rid of it if it's not a fuck yes it's a fuck no sort of mentality yeah yeah i love that having joy in your life on on the point of compassion i love this jack hornfield says that if your compassion does not include yourself it's incomplete totally mm. totally um okay i have one final question to wrap things up um I am under the personal belief that life happens um, for you, not to you, and that everything that happens for us is here for our evolution and our growth. Um, what is one thing that life has shown you lately or taught you about yourself? That there is so much, so much that can potentially come into the mind space or can be interpreted or there's so much information to download and have data around that finding your space to slow the fuck down mm -hmm. just needs to keep being something we come back to do less slow it down yeah just be, yeah effortlessness is key mm, you sound very Taoist right now yeah but so many lessons and i guess that's the that's the beauty of life if you if you open your eyes it'll keep sort of showing you different shit oh I love that. Open your eyes and pay attention. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your mm. everything that you've offered up today. It's been so, yeah, so beautiful. Thank you for listening to the Yogi Therapist podcast. If you enjoyed what was discussed today, then consider subscribing and leaving a review. Check out the show notes for any additional information about what was covered here today. And you can find me at theyogitherapist.com.au or on Instagram at yogitherapist underscore for more information on me and my therapy. Until next time.